with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Nightmare. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Kolick, your host, and you are not. With me all the way from, I don't know what Wales, the weather is in Wales today, but anyways, all the way from Wales is the gold standard and ghost hunting, Mr. Steve Parsons. And I'm not you either. Good evening. Good thing. uh, It's dark. The weather is dark here in Wales, but we're getting ready for the coronation. So we've all Uh, got the flags up. Oh, excellent. Most, most excellent. When is that, Steve? Uh, This Saturday. So make sure you're around to watch it because we've, oh, seen I will. Re- we've seen the rehearsals and we're good at the ceremonial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. You know, I watch all that stuff. I get up for the well. You'll funeral, see the gold. Up, yeah, you're going to see the gold state coach. I don't think you've ever seen the gold state coach. No, I don't think I have either. But probably wrote, wrote it, but you know, in another very life, spectacular. But, yeah, yeah, but, but there we are. So so there you go. So anyways. Joining us today, uh, we actually have guests. Is oh, does that uh, mean we've got to be nice tonight? Well, you do. I'm always nice. <laughs> first, my first, first of all, you can, card, see, I, you can see I, I've turned over a new leaf because I You're actually asked nice. guest, guest the, the last name so that uh, at least the first time I may not butcher it. May not is the key there. Uh, so there's, there's a start there anyways. So. Anyways, joining us now is uh, two people. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> two people. It's gone uh, wrong already. I know it always has. Uh, they have um, came up with this great documentary, uh, which I, I'm dying to see, actually. Uh, it is called, oh, how come I can't, I can't have two screens open at the same time? You know, it's I can't remember. in the afterlife. Things. Thank you, dear. Yes, Ghosts in the Afterlife, a scientific investigation. And we have uh, Dr. Steve Sayer, who I will call Dr. Sayer because I already have one Steve. And the narrator of the uh, documentary uh, is Kelsey, oh, shoot, Bolin, I hope. Welcome aboard, guys. Thank Uh, you. It's lovely to... It's lovely to be on the show. Thanks for having us. Well, then about ghosts in the afterlife, we need to put Ron out of his misery. Yeah, but they're trying. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Uh, Anyways, uh, so this is intriguing. Uh, Who came up with the idea to uh, produce this uh, film? Uh, Actually, the film concept uh, was my brother, Garrett, who served as the executive producer on the project. And he's the one who um, had the most interest in the concept and the one that promoted doing the film. Mm-hmm. And is he, is he interested in, is it just uh, the thought of a good film or is he interested in the afterlife? Well, he wanted to prove the existence of the afterlife 
from a scientific perspective, more from a quantitative perspective than the qualitative perspective, which is what you generally see on television where somebody goes into a dark room and gets goosed by a ghost, which is always interesting, <laughs> intriguing. However, he wanted to do a, a study that really examined the subject matter from a scientific perspective. As most, most of his interest was in the existence of life after death, and ghosts was a supplementary subject matter. Okay. So uh, let me start start off by asking you, uh, you are a doctor, so what is your doctor's in? My doctorate is in psychology. Okay, so you, you could be a parapsychologist then. You could be. <laughs> yes, <laughs> there you go. That, that does tie in. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm sure Steve is quite interested in this because uh, you you uh, contacted us, so you know Steve's reputation. I'm sure in the UK is uh, the head of parascience on the SPR, a member of the Ghost Club, uh, ASAP, and several other organizations. So I'm looking forward to hear what Steve has to say about this whole project. Steve. Well, I mean, <clears throat> personally, it's fascinating to see parapsychologists or psychologists even interested in this subject because the vast majority of them dismiss it out of hand. Uh, they don't give it any credence whatsoever. And the very few that do, those who are working in parapsychology, are looking mainly at consciousness rather than survival. Um, you know, here in the UK and indeed over, over in the USA, you can almost count on the fingers of of one or two hands, the number of psychologists who are looking at um, the evidence for spontaneous phenomena. So in that we call, we, we would lump ghosts. Um, but ordinarily, psychologists don't give a damn about this subject. Yes, so that's from, very from, true. So from my perspective, it, it looks like a very welcome film. I've only ever seen, I've only seen the trailer you know, disclosure, uh, because we haven't seen the film yet. But from the, from um, the trailer, which I have seen, I, I, the, I'm getting the vibes that this is um, more believer than skeptic, if that makes sense. Is that is that? Yeah. Is that the right vibes to be getting? Yes, absolutely. And uh, in regard to my doctorate, my doctorate being in psychology, as you mentioned, but then there's a number of experts that are foremost in the area of studying the subject matter of life after death that are medical doctors that are involved in a great deal of research, like Dr. Norm Sheely, who is also the father of holistic medicine, who is a neurosurgeon. And you have Dr. Raymond Moody, who's a medical doctor, as well as the right. doctor of psychology. Uh, he's both. And then Dr. Vernon Sebest, who's a pathologist, and Dr. Jeffrey Redeker, who's a medical doctor, who is a professor at Harvard. So there, there are some very well-known and uh, very interested people mm -hmm. who are involved in the research that have their doctorates in these various different fields. Yeah, I mean, you, you've highlighted something in, interesting there that a lot uh, there are a lot of medical doctors who do subscribe to notions of survival of bodily death 
Um, the difficulty seems to be psychologists. Um, I, I, I don't know whether they're just shy of the concept or aware that funding is difficult. Um, you know, I mean, you do have the, uh, what's that million dollar prize that's just been announced for research Oops, into mean, survival? Oh, um, um, it's just come out now. The guy that used to own the Skinwalker Ranch has just announced a new, a new award. So maybe they could go for that anyway. There's a million dollars of funding there. But psychologists, the academics, seem to fight very shy of this subject um, and are, are deeply dismissive or openly sceptical. Um, Whereas medical doctors, as um, as I saw in the in the trailer, um, are are much more open. And I, you know, with my own nursing background, uh, I know a lot of the medical profession who subscribe. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I think that a lot of it has to do with it. early on, when uh, Dr. Moody in the seventies was just completing his book and uh, making it really a seminal uh, study into life after death from a uh, more of a qualitative perspective at that point. But he was very shy about the concept and was concerned that people wouldn't take it seriously simply because when you're, back then at least, as you say now, there's a number of medical doctors that believe in the experience because either they've experienced or they witnessed the experience on so many different occasions due to the fact that they deal with life and death situations. But I think the same thing is kind of a holdover for doctors of psychology. They don't want to seem as if they're on the fringe. So they're concerned because <laughs> they're treating people, you know, and they, I think a lot of it is the concern that they just even if they personally believe in the subject, they don't want to express it publicly. That's, that's yeah. If you, if you get a psychologist drunk sometimes, they, they, they do tend to be a little bit more open. And, and they always yeah. say psychology is um, a fringe science, and the parasite yes. is a, with a fringe of a fringe <laughs> science. So, you know, yeah. it, is, it is a difficult area to get funding. But what, what um, what has happened in, in recent years, uh, I'm coming back to the back to the documentary, is that documentary makers have moved into this um, debate and opened it up a great deal. And I, I, is that the intention of, of this documentary? Well, it, yes, it certainly is. Um, it, in, other, in other words, uh, we approached it from a quantitative perspective. As I mentioned back in the 70s, Dr. Moody predominantly approached it from a qualitative perspective, meaning that he did it through in interviews with people throughout the entire world who had the after-death experience. He referred to it as near-death, and that goes to the point that you were making. The reason he referred to it as near-death is because he didn't want to use the word after-death experience because he would feel that they might not accept it in the scientific community because in his, in his words at that time and in, under the consideration of how to refer to it, because he's the one who coined near-death experience, right. was if you're dead, you're dead and you'll never come back. This was the scientific dogma of the 70s 
and certainly probably the 80s and the 90s as well. So that was uh, an issue. And I think that people have the fear of being ridiculed uh, more than anything, especially people who have their doctorates in various different subject matters. They're afraid that it might disqualify them in the scientific community. Before we go, we can circle back to this. Uh, I do want to get uh, poor Kelsey involved before she gets uh, finishes that glass of wine that she's drinking there. Uh, so, Kelsey, how did you get involved in this? And and what? And I have to ask you: Is is do you believe in life after death? I do. After having worked on the film, I have to say, I was a working actress on the West Coast in L.A. And this casting was posted to one of the common auditioning sites. And so like any audition, I applied and I auditioned and I got the part. Mm -hmm. So I really have no background in paranormal or near death, but it was fascinating to come in as an outsider because I just learned so much and it changed the way, the way I look at the world as a whole. It was just really, really eye-opening. So you said your opinion changed. Is it, was it strictly from the material that was being presented, or, or did you have actually experiences in dealing with uh, this subject? I've never personally had a near-death or an after-death experience, mm -hmm. but what really made me a believer was just talking to all of the people firsthand who had experienced one. I think, like Steve was saying there, there's a lot of skepticism and a lot of stigma behind the subject. And it was just really, really interesting to hear all of their firsthand accounts. And it was almost a relief in some way because we all want to know what happens when we die. And I think there's a lot of anxiety surrounding that subject matter. And just hearing from these people and these professionals and knowing that there is more to life than our physical presence on Earth was really neat to delve into yeah i mean i never believed in this myself but uh you know i had a pulmonary embolism in the hospital i ended up what i thought was a near-death experience but wasn't sure it was the drugs they gave you or what so that's how i got involved in the paranormal altogether because of that and, and other experiences after that uh but and it, it is a traumatic wow, that's experience. fascinating yes it's a it's a trick you know, it's a fascinating subject in itself because it covers so many, uh, you know, theories, and that's the, what they all are, of course, are theories. You, you know, you, you run into both the religious elements as well as the scientific elements. Right. And that was another thing, is that these people who have these experiences or have had one of these experiences, they come from all walks of life, all different kinds of religion. So it just kind of makes you look at things more openly and not just be so narrow-minded. And I was also fascinated because after this film came out, this was filmed year, over the course of several years. And a while ago, I have um, since moved back to my home state of Texas. And I was so excited to hear that, that we were going to get distribution and um, the general public was going to be able to watch this and hopefully have a similar experience to what I had and just get educated on the subject matter. What is this coming out? Speaking about uh, distribution. Oh, uh, it was released. Yeah. Four months now. It was just, re it was released 
for all intents and purposes, the beginning of this year. Okay, limited engagements, I assume. Well, it's it's being shown on uh, Amazon. You can download it. You can view it. You can order the DVD. And then also Voodoo.com, Walmart selling the DVD. So now, now in regard to limited engagements, theatrically, I do plan on arranging for what they refer to as event cinema, where people all around the country can watch it simultaneously via satellite link and then have it a theatrical participation event where also um, the various people who are involved in the film could also be part of the event. So that's, that's something in the future. Okay. The distribution started with this process, though, with the VOD and the DVD. Right. I mean, you know, Netflix, uh, in fact, my guest is going to be on the, the next show is, uh, was involved a little bit in that. And, uh, they had their uh, surviving death series that they just put out with which four parts, which is similar to yours and that it looks at it. But uh, the aspect I like about yours is the, the themes that you certainly brought in, not only Dr. Moody, but uh, Prague and, and some of the other, uh, of course, which escapes me at this time, but uh, some of the other prominent names that associated with it. Yeah, well, the entire intent was to take it from the, that um, scientific quantitative perspective. And we also, when you see the film, it also delves into qualitative in the sense that we interview people, of course, that have experienced near-death experiences and after-death experiences. And, of course, we interview the medical doctors that have experienced it to their patients. So that's qualitative. And then, of course, the quantitative would be where we uh, interviewed the people involved in the NASA project where there was the centrifuge, which would then go so quickly uh, in order to draw all the oxygen and blood away from the brain and cause, cause the individual to lose complete physical consciousness and other studies similar to that, like remote viewing, et cetera. Those are quantitative because they're numerically provable. You can uh, isolate that information from a quantitative perspective. The qualitative, though, is just the scientific. It's just a different, it's, it's similar to what you were referring to earlier when the early forms of psychology, if that's the way you want to refer to it, were considered not as scientific as the uh, medical field would prefer because it was almost exclusively qualitative. Certainly when Sigmund Freud started, Adler, and then of course Piaget started, it was all qualitative. It was strictly based on interviews and theories that these men had. However, with Piaget, it's very interesting because he, he did all his studies on child psychology with his children. And it turned out to be 100% accurate and still holds true today. Uh, the, the only problem with the psychology, early psychology, even, even Freud, is, is that uh, they were wrong in the beginning in, in differences. I mean, you know, uh, when, for instance, one that really shocked me was, and that was no pun intended, was the use of electrical shock uh, to uh, onset menstruation, uh, which was done on uh, the uh, 
Queen Elizabeth's husband's mother. Uh, ah, yeah. So, yeah, so I mean, even back then we made mistakes, and even now I'm sure we are still making mistakes that we will learn later on, which, which will almost, almost see barbaric. So some of these- Well, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. true. In that point, uh, in regard to your point into electroshocks, the early stages of electroshock ECT treatment um, was was effective, uh, not not for menstruation, uh, but for uh, snapping people out of depression, bipolar episodes, and and right. schizophrenia. And they've improved it to such a degree. A lot of people think that it's obsolete; nobody uses it. It's become the preferred method of treating bipolar depression and schizophrenia and they do electric shock today although it's vastly refined where there's no real trauma involved but it is just as effective the state of massachusetts I'm trying to ban it, ban it all together so give you a yeah well they would be making a huge mistake because it, it you wouldn't want to use it casually but it's an enormously effective and, and far more effective than pharmaceuticals. Well, I so can vouch Steve, for I mean, that from, well, yeah, I can vouch for the effective efficacy of ECT um, because I've participated in the delivery of it uh, and the patient, oh, wow. patient support. Um, and I've watched as uh, patients, normally it's used for depression or is uh, Dr. Sawyer said uh, bipolar disorder, but I, I've actually seen the before and after um, over a course of treatment. How was it? It was incredibly effective, um, and it's done oh in God. a very it's done in a very controlled way. Um, the patient is that's crazy. Uh, I did not know that. The patient's anesthetized, so there is no trauma, um, and it's it's a very swift procedure. It normally takes uh, four or five minutes for the entire procedure to be delivered. And there's, there's, um, there is a course of treatments. Normally, um, it's given on a more than one occasion. But the, but the efficacy of it, I can vouch from personal experience, having seen it done, although I've never had it, obviously, um, the change was way more effective than, than um, pharmaceutical methods which which tended to always work by dulling everything you know the, it, it turned patients Very into true. zombies you saw these people shuffling around the psychiatric wards um and you you know they were the, the condition was being treated but their entire lifestyle was also being treated Yes, they were no longer really fully functioning human beings no, by were, any standard. No, we, we, used right. to, we used to call them zombies. Yeah, and then the same thing, of course, would occur with the barbaric prefrontal lobotomies. Well, they take an ice pick and poke right. the uh, ice pick to the, uh, uh, over the top of the eye and destroy the prefrontal lobes. The, the, that's, that, of course, is absurd. Um, and fortunately, they don't do that anymore. But... Um, yeah, electroshock therapy has proven itself through time, and they've refined it to an art form, as you say, where it's very little trauma, if any trauma whatsoever, because the patient is sedated, and the whole process has been refined. So they make sure that nothing happens, like the biting of the tongue. They make sure they give the person a mouth guard. They, they make sure that nothing 
can go wrong during the process. Exactly, exactly. I mean, that was my role was the, was actually the patient support role to make sure that nothing went wrong. But it, there is still a stigma attached to it. You know, we uh, the patients themselves didn't like uh, family members to know about it. And it wasn't a course of treatment that is publicised because of the negative con- connotations that still uh, it still carries, you know, here in the UK and and in and in other uh, countries too. I mean, you heard Ron just say in the state of Massachusetts, uh, they banned. And the uh, film, the film one flew over the cuckoo's nest certainly didn't do anything no. to uh, <laughs> to promote ECG treatments. And and as Trotsky proved, the ice pick doesn't work. No, it just it, it destroys. They become permanently disabled. So that's not a good approach. So but, how did the? How did, I'm sorry, Steve. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to. I mean, we can touch on it in more detail after uh, after the break that's coming up. But I want to talk about the title a little bit because as part of part of the title's intriguing me. Yeah, that's actually what I was going to ask about too. So. Because it's specifically, you know, the headline title is Ghosts and the Afterlife. And yet, historically, and it's been, you know, the it's been uh, made on, the point has been made on a number of occasions, that there is possibly no connection between ghosts and the survival of bodily death. The two might be entirely different oh, yeah. phenomena. Well, they certainly could be separate phenomenon to the degree that the existence of the consciousness is in different locations. So the ghost, as we understand ghosts, and most people identify ghosts as forms uh, of consciousness or aberrations that exist Mm -hmm. in our dimension. And then when people think of afterlife, they consider the person having moved on to a completely different dimension. So I think that may be a good point of differentiation as far as the popular understanding of the terms. Right. Well, we yeah, can return, can we, we can return to it afterwards and we can debate it because the debate I've had with a number of, um, of the psychologists who are studying consciousness and survival of death versus, you know, uh, from, from my perspective, as someone who studies the phenomena of ghosts. Yeah. But we're, so we're, we're heading up to that break, so we'll, we'll come back to that. Come back to that break. Anyways, you're listening to uh, what are we here? Oh, Ghost Chronicles International with uh, Steve Parsons and Ron Kolick right here on TojiNet. And we are brought to you by Circles of Wisdom, 286 Merrimack Street, with Thuman, Massachusetts, the Glant Messier Family Law Group, 15 High Street, North Andover, Massachusetts, and our very good friends on Ghost Chronicles Radio on Patreon. Uh, become a member of the Dead Air Society. Join us for a mere three bucks. And uh, you get access to over 50 videos just for uh, Diddy Society members and plus all this stuff too, whatever. Anyways, we'll be right back after the break right here on Tojinet Radio. Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge.
Do you have a paranormal event, book, or something else you want people to know about? Then why not advertise it on Ghost Chronicles Radio? With over 150,000 downloads a month, get your message out to an audience that's interested in the subject. We have a plan at a cost that fits your needs. For more information, contact Ron Kolick at anyghostproject at comcast.net or call 978-455-6678. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk gobbledygooky, the Parax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parax family. They're strange. Unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew. It's time to rendezvous as we give awards to the Para X family. Second half of tonight, of the first half of tonight's Two Hour Ghost Chronicles special edition. This is the international half, and our guests tonight are Dr. Steve Sawyer and Kelsey Bowler. I thought it was Sawyer. Sawyer, Sawyer, Sawyer. You say tomatoes, to, I say potatoes. Starting to talk like me now. That's scary. I know. I know. And uh, we're talking about the new documentary that's just been released and available on Amazon and uh, Voodoo. Uh, Ghosts and the Afterlife, which is a scientific cons- uh, examination of the subject. Before you get into what you were talking about, I just wanted to mention to Kelsey that this uh, broadcast actually originates in Texas as well. So it's your home state, girl. Oh, wow. Awesome. Okay, Steve, you're all yours. Oh, well, yeah. Well, well, yeah. Which Steve? Um, yeah. That's why I'm calling him Dr. Sayer. See, I, I, I figured that out. See how good I am today? I said so. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, well, yeah, because the, the point we were making, I was, uh, the, the, the avenue I was, uh, the rabbit hole I was going down before the break was the separation of ghosts and the afterlife because there is, there, that, in fact, the point has been made since the 1920s uh, by some eminent uh, investigators of apparitional phenomena, spontaneous apparitional phenomena, um, that they that the mechanisms that cause people to exceed, to see ghosts and uh, apparitions may may be completely unconnected to um, the survival of death, um, consciousness or anything else. It might be two completely different mechanisms, and yet they're often interlinked and intertwined in people's popular conception of the subject. And I noticed in the trailer that there was some classic ghost footage. There was a figure walking in the graveyard, I think was in one shot, um, and objects falling off off library shelves, uh, which is classic, you know, uh, spontaneous apparitional phenomena. Um, 
does does the documentary actually make any distinction or does it pursue the two completely different types of phenomena or it, does it do something else? Yeah. It really uh, intertwines the two, not in the sense of being intentionally entwined, but simply due to the fact that the subject matter is similar and the evidence provided is similar. So it it approaches it without any specific differentiation, aside from the fact that it's obviously discussing one topic versus the other at any yeah. given time. But in that regard, the aboriginal uh, aspect of things, when we did the ghost hunt, which you'll see in the film, there was an aberration that was seen by Kelsey and no one else, and the dog reacted to it, the little ghost meter reacted to it, but nobody else saw this aberration that she saw crossing across the field. We're out in the middle of nowhere where there was a uh, individual that was murdered and decapitated and dismembered. And so we went to this location thinking that if there is any type of ghost activity that certainly might appear in that particular area. So, we, but we spent two days filming and thought we had nothing because Kelsey didn't specifically see what she saw at the time in the sense that she said, well, there, there's some kind of like a movement of light going across from right to left. But when I reviewed the footage in post-production, because we had three cameramen on the shoot, I saw one of the cameramen actually captured this aberration crossing the screen. And the individual that was dismembered and decapitated was a high school track star. And the images of someone, a male body, uh, but translucent, and you can see the trees and the plants behind them running across the screen. Uh, but it's not like there's an actual person, but you can see the legs and arms moving. You can see the, 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 the whole entity is very clearly human when you look at it closely. Mm -hmm. So what, what was the purpose of this section in the film? Uh, just to see if we could uh, conjure up any uh, ghostly phenomenon since that was an aspect of the film. As a psychologist, though, you, you, you must surely have realized that you front-loaded the, the, the whole situation by telling people we're going on a ghost hunt and we're going to this location where someone was brutally murdered <coughs> and we're going to film your responses and your reactions. Oh, yeah, and actually, you are, we weren't you are priming the pump. Sorry. Yes, well, the, you would climb the pump. We just had someone who had had a great deal of experience in ghost hunting, and the idea was just to film uh, whatever he might encounter during, in other words, we didn't interview anyone. And Kelsey wasn't there to keep an eye on the ghost situation. She was just there as the on-camera narrator. But um, nobody else saw what she saw until it was captured on video and seen later in post-production. So let me ask Kelsey then. You, you were, your, your role in this, the uh, film was narrator. So you would narrate various segments. So when you had this experience, uh, what were the feelings going through you? Oddly, I wasn't alarmed or startled. And I've actually seen a 
ghost. I've had one encounter with a ghost that is not related to to the film, and I had the same sort of a feeling. It just kind of a matter of fact, um, not startled, which I find found kind of odd because I can be a little bit jumpy uh, by nature. <laughs> so that was a little uh, shocking to me. But I wasn't quite sure what I what I had seen. I knew there was something, but I, I couldn't really put my finger on it. And again, I I shockingly wasn't afraid. Okay. So actually, I would I would say that the majority of people's um, response to an apparitional encounter, they're normally more surprised by their lack of a response because they they expect that they will jump they expect that they will be scared um and the situation is often so um normal or unexpected that they don't have time to respond in the way that they think they're going to respond it's like oh did i just see a ghost um wow. that is very true <laughs> Yeah. It's, it's, people are actually I, more surprised by their lack of response i think yeah yes one i would the, i would second that one of the things that uh dr Sia said was uh, regarding the ghost hunter was that he had a, a a ghost meter or something i mean uh yeah. i'm not quite sure um I, I mean is that something that was prompted by the film or was this this person that you had uh, run this particular segment, a, uh, you know, a, air quote, professional. Well, he wasn't a professional ghost hunter. He was a ghost hunter that did it as an enthusiast. And uh, he had the ghost meters and he had an assistant with a ghost meter. And he, he had a dog with him because he felt that it always assisted in his, uh, the dog had sensitivities that humans do not. And that all turned out to actually actually be the case because when Kelsey, um, when the dog the dog started to yelp and whine and refused to move forward, and then the ghost meter that his assistant, the ghost hunter's assistant, had started to go off, and then Kelsey saw this image passing from right to left across the field that nobody else saw. As I mentioned, the only time I saw it was in post. Right. I, you know, I don't doubt the, the, what you saw in post, but my, my um, yeah, question I'm with, is, I'm, I'm, sure I'm going, I'm... I, you're going to go that I, way for Steve? Well, you know I've written several books on the subject, particularly looking at the technical aspects of these right. devices, these meters. And, you know, historically, uh, from the earliest days of a technological approach to ghost hunting to the bang up to date with the latest pieces of ghost tech that are being deployed, there has never been one single piece of equipment that can the demonstrably um, indicated the, the, the presence of ghosts. And what you, what you actually deal, what you, you what a ghost was, by the way, well, if you even knew what a ghost was, but what you, what you're dealing with these machines is electronic snake oil. And if a ghost hunter yeah. turns up with a bunch of uh, with a bunch of equipment saying these are ghost meters, these can detect the presence of ghosts. My advice has always been that you should walk the other way. If they turn yeah. up and say um, people have reported the room gets colder or the 
the, the atmosphere changes in some material way, then that is measurable. We can measure the environment, but we cannot, you know, there is no piece of technology. I, you know, I've been doing this 50 years and I, it's my, my dearest wish that we could come up with a ghost detector, a device for indicating the presence of um, a paranormal entity or paranormal phenomena. It just doesn't exist. The dog, on the other hand, is much more yeah, interesting. It. That's um, And the response of the dog, because there is more than anecdotal evidence that suggests that the mechanism within, you know, not just dogs, but cats and, and horses and other animals wives. do seem to, and what was that, wives? Wives, yeah. <laughs> 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 I know a few people that, yeah, I wish we had a wife detector as well. Yeah. Or a wife mood detector. A wife mood detector, that would be the, a good invention, wouldn't it? Yeah, that would yeah, probably the old, the sell well. mechanism of They had that, put... the mood ring. Remember the mood ring? Yeah, but do you remember the, I mean, the tried and trusted method that always lets you down is how are you feeling? I'm fine. Oh, you're in trouble. For me personally, I know Ron picked up on it as well. The as soon as you said ghost meter, there was a big red flag just dropped over the whole ghost hunt. That, that yeah. not to take that doesn't take away anything from Kelsey's experience or what was captured on camera or the response of the dog. But it does. Uh, yeah, when, when, it does. Yeah, when I see. When I say ghost meter, just I have no idea what the meters were. <laughs> were they taking the uh, alternate temperatures uh, that you know were in the atmosphere? I didn't even ask, actually. So I don't know what the meters were yeah. for. No, I, I mean even promoting it as a ghost meter, um, and they are you know Amazon is full of them. You know there are there are. Yeah, I imagine. There are innumerable devices, you know, some of them are derived from children's toys, others from broken radios. Some of them have got thermometers, crystals, all manner of um, gubbins attached to them. But yet none of them have ever been um, demonstrated to, to be effective. Um, but that doesn't, as I say, I've got to stress here that that doesn't take away anything from the experience of the individual having the experience or peripheral anecdotal evidence uh, in the form of the dog um, and objective evidence in the form of the camera footage but it does it's certainly in a yeah it's certainly it an important part i think in in, in, in yeah. the film the I documentary mean, too because that's part of the experience that yeah you would want to document i mean for me i would be focusing on the experiences uh what Kelsey saw, and I would particularly focus on what the camera was seeing, because if the camera is seeing it, then clearly it's seeing something. Uh, and that's objective, yeah. that's objective information because the camera doesn't have an imagination. It can't be pre-primed beforehand to, set, to expect to see a ghost. So there you have true, some. True. And what you have in that, in that um, moment is one of the it's almost the holy grail for the ghost investigator which is a subjective human experience i think i can see something and an objective verification of that experience um by, yeah, by but well no i was going to say by means of machine 
Right. Um, we don't know what what you know. We don't yet understand the the minds of our pets well enough. Um, but what you have is a subjective account from Kelsey and an objective piece of information from the camera, and go. that you you put the two of them together at the same time in the same place, and indicating the same event, and you have really quite a rare event. Yes, it was uh, quite fortuitous because I thought that there was absolutely nothing that came of the two days and nights yeah. that we were filming. So that actually made your day then, thanks to Kelsey. Yes, well, yeah, yeah. I suppose it allowed me to be aware that I should look for something. Mm -hmm. uh, because, and, and of course, if she hadn't identified it on camera, it wouldn't have had the impact. And as I say, no, nobody else saw it. Yeah, it wouldn't, it, either on their own, um, like, for example, Kelsey, oh, I saw something, but the camera fails to catch it, or the, ca the camera catches uh, an anomaly of some sort, some sort but nobody, nobody indicates a ghost or says that they feel in any way untoward, diminishes both experiences. But when you put the two of them together, you have some very compelling um, information that really is the sort of stuff I like to go to the parapsychologist skeptics and wave in front of them in an antagonizing way and ask them <laughs> to explain it. So um, I, I may, I, now I know it's available on, on Amazon, which was one, oh, of, the, yeah. one of the few places I didn't look to find the movie. Um, I'm going to, um, I'm going to give that a watch and I didn't even explore because I didn't know. I well, I'm going to have already. some potentially new ammunition to um, to fire at the the, the skeptical parapsychologists. Mm. So yes, one, I think one thing a I good did piece want, of evidence. Yeah. So one thing I did want to ask you, uh, Doctor Sarah, is uh, how did you select the, the particular uh, experts on the show? Well, uh, a lot of it was due to the research of my brother, Garrett. He did a lot of that. He went to the Finlay Institute in, uh, I believe it's, it's somewhere close to London, and we could just say London, which is the one of where you probably both know is one of the premier parapsychology institutes. It's a large university-like setting. And he went from state to state. He interviewed psychics and uh, you know, in, in mediums just in order to determine their their qualities and their accuracy. And then he went to the various different medical doctors uh, that were involved in research in the field. And then there's one that's very well known, who I won't mention, who is not in the film simply because the interactions with that particular individual didn't seem as appropriate to actual quantitative research. In other words, his, his research designs and such didn't seem to really meet the standard. But I won't mention his name. The people oh. we've mentioned, oh, that's uh, you know, that are in the film. We can yeah. speculate as to who he was now. Yeah, we can. Yeah. <laughs> he, <laughs> can... He, he would probably be very upset with us if we mentioned his name. He's, <laughs> he's a good person. He had good intentions, but he, he and he's very well known. Uh, but the the experts we have in the film were extremely well vetted, and a lot of that vetting was done by my brother Garrett. Yeah, I'm, I'm um, for 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 the listeners. The the centre you're referring to is the Arthur Findlay Centre, 
Um, it's mm. not parapsychology. Uh, it's no. one of the leading foremost centres for psychical development right. um, in the UK. Uh, just as you say, just outside London, a place uh, well known to me, at least. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I think I know the person you're referring to, but I won't name them either. Okay. There you go. Well, if if that person's British, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Moving yeah. Right it's, um, <laughs> we we don't want we we have a lot of trolls following us around already. Uh, <laughs> from people that were they were filmed in you know they were filmed. We have like dozens of interviews we didn't include, and of course people often get perturbed by the fact that they're not included. But of course, it's various different reasons. Some people just don't have a screen presence, and if the person is the interview is left in a film, the people will fall asleep. You know, there's this certain element, and then sometimes they don't say anything that really is cohesive, and that goes for experts and experiencers. Well, I always hated ending up in the cutting room floor, so yeah, yeah, so, no, uh, yeah nobody likes it. Yeah. So each of you went into this uh, project. <laughs> with your own thoughts, uh, what did you, I, I guess the goals, did you attain your goals and uh, did they change uh, throughout the project? I, I wanna start with Kelsey, cause she is the outside of the one who went in as a job basically. And so she mentioned that, you know, she uh, uh, was odd, I guess is a good word uh, for, by some of the, uh, experts that she had the show. I mean, what what are your thoughts now, Kelsey? Well, it definitely made me a believer in the afterlife and of ghosts, which I already was of ghosts, but the, the near-death experiences and after-death experiences, I, I had no knowledge of, and I was just kind of neutral. I didn't have an opinion one way or the other. Uh, but after having interviewed so many of these people it, it really 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 did make me a believer and I just kind of got interested in the subject matter and I started following a lot of podcasts and you know joining a lot of online forums and groups and it's just been fascinating to hear everyone's perspective did you feel comfortable in it? that's an interesting thought did I feel confident comfort comfort I did. I did. I did. That was probably one of the best things to result from my experience of narrating this film is it was just so fascinating and comforting at the same time. I I always had kind of a premonition that, that there is an afterlife. I, I've always kind of felt that way, but it just, it was very reassuring after having interviewed everybody. Okay. Dr. Sarah, going into this film, what was your thoughts and it has your mind changed or you had the goals changed along the way? Well, actually, uh, I think, uh, I don't know if we discussed my two after death experiences in any detail because you we did covered not. You're, so you're, welcome, you're welcome to bring one of those up now for sure. Oh, yeah. Well, the I, I would just be referring back in my mind to the pulmonary embolism and the drug question was that what was causing the experience and such when and, and it's part of this and i'll explain the after-death experience uh, concisely get it done rather efficiently what happened was the injury in the military resulted in 
uh, ultimately me dying on the operating room table. And um, after I died then, and it was for a 10 to 15 minute period, according to one of the surgical nurses that I spoke to after I survived the incident. And the situation was rather hectic and chaotic. Uh, well, after I, I actually flatlined, in other words, stopped breathing, heart stopped, et cetera, clinical death, in other words. The um, nurse was so frazzled and, and, and distraught over the situation. She never had a patient die in front of her before. She handed the doctor the paddles before gelling them. And then he didn't know that they weren't gelled. And she did the, the doctor did the defibrillation and it burned the skin off uh, my chest. Okay. So that's how it started. It was very chaotic, but they couldn't bring me back for quite some time. So after they finally did, during the, well, I should explain the process and what I felt when I was clinically dead. Right. Uh, it was very calming. It was very, I was fully conscious. And there was a voice that came uh, from, I suppose, the ether. There was no particular direction of the voice. It just said, don't worry, you're going home, which confused me. It didn't disturb me simply because at that point, and even at this point in my life, I traveled so much, I never considered anywhere my home. Because from the age of two and a half, my family was moving from one country to the next. And then when I was in the military, I was moving from one country or one state to the next. So that was the experience. It was very calming. Then when they brought me back, it was uh, somewhat chaotic. Of course, they, they're rushing me to the OR. And then the second, uh, then, I, then I died clinically once again. And the experience went a little further, more of a traditional experience. Uh, again, the same, the same voice, the same calm voice, slightly different intonation, but simply saying, don't worry, you're going home. And then the, uh, the conscious state was fully apparent. And then I started to see the light. And then I came back to uh, physical alertness, I suppose, is the best way for us to phrase it. And then at that point, they started to administer the general anesthesia. And that's where I'm making that comparison of the pulmonary embolism and drugs, because once they started, uh, once they started with the general anesthesia, I lost absolute consciousness. There was no consciousness. I have no recollection of that period of time and didn't at the time either. But when I was clinically dead without the anesthetics, I was perfectly conscious. So it's a very interesting thing. Yeah, good point. Yeah, that's- And I did wake up during the surgery because the, the drug wore off. Oh. And then of course you're conscious again, but also I was able to see the operation taking place in the reflective mirror overhead in the operating room. And I kept telling him in my mind to please get this over with. How long is it going to take? It was something like five hours during the surgery to put everything back together, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, that's I never really looked at it that way, but that, that's 
that's it makes a lot of sense. I mean, because I've gone under anesthesia before, and you're right, you're actually you don't know where the hell you go. But uh, under the experiences, there was a different consciousness involved. There was it was it was totally different. And uh, unfortunately, you're not going to. But we are running out of time. Actually, ran out of time. So uh, this this uh, we've been this, you're listening to Ghost Chronicles International with Steve Pass and Ron Cohen. And our special guest has been Doctor Sear and. Oh my God, Kelsey Bolin, whatever. Bolin, Anyways. there you go. Oh, cool. Thank you, Kelsey. I apologize. <laughs> uh, and can you tell us a little bit once more if people want to get this film or, or see this film? How can they they get it? Yeah, well, they, if they have an Amazon account, I would say go to Amazon and rent it, download it, or buy the DVD. If you don't have an Amazon account, probably the easiest way to access the film would be go to voodoo.com, which is the Universal Films Warner's joint venture. And a lot of people haven't heard of it, vudu.com. And any major VOD site has it, uh, Vimeo and Google Play and on and on and on. But those yeah, two are very, okay. So anyways, thank you so much, guys. It was really interesting. I wish we had more time. Uh, I do appreciate it. Once again, the film is called what, Dr.? Ghosts in the Afterlife of Scientific Investigation. Thank you. Thank you, Kelsey. Good night, everyone. God bless. Good night. Thank you. Good night. Good night. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us good luck.